Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the Salt City Grind. It's your friend Joe Driscoll here. Uh, for the next episode, I, I got my guest with me, Todd Reed. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. How about yourself, my man? Good, man. Holding it together in these crazy, crazy times. Doing it the best yeah. we can. Yep. It's a hot one, ain't it? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's proper hot out there. But, I'm, you know, I won't complain. I'm a Syracusan through and through. You know, I'm frozen nine months of the year. I'll take the heat when I can get it, you know. That's right. That's right. Just out of my uh, – I'm a nut about my grass. I love green grass. So I just keep buying – going to the uh, – I just went to the um, Home Depot and brought me a new sprinkler because the one I had wasn't capturing the yard. So I just love green grass, and that's why I don't like it being too hot. I, I feel you. I feel you. Don't want that brown grass fall off. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I brought you on the show today. Wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, we, we cover all things in the 315 on the podcast, talking to different yep. characters and people that are doing stuff throughout the community. So for those that, uh, you know, don't know you are unfamiliar with Access, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the business you run and, and what Access Dental Laboratories is all about and, you know, tell us your business model and, and you know, a general overview of the company. Okay. So, um, Access Dental Laboratory is a full-service dental laboratory. It's going to be located on the south side of Syracuse, um, Salina and Warner. Um, our headquarters will be in the old Sean Casey building. Access Dental Laboratory will provide crowns, bridges, partials, dentures, veneers for the dental community. So you don't come to me for a crown, denture, partial, or veneer. You go to the health center. You go to... Um, uh, general dentistry, and they um, prescribe whatever uh, restoration you need. So you guys do the manufacturing type stuff in your yeah. in your in your laboratory, right? Yep. So how many how many people would be employed in this in this new endeavor uh, in this location on the south side? Fifty people. Nice. Yep, fifty people. We're looking at. Um, I want. Uh, Let's say eight admin, uh, probably 30 um, employees, like, you know, like uh, 30 workers and uh, some salespeople. And we also have the building. So we're going to need grounds and uh, salespeople and, and maintenance. Right. Yep. Awesome, yep. man. And I'm looking to, uh, I, I want, to me, the south side of Syracuse. I'm looking for 50 Todd and Chanel's and Samuel's and Eric's <laughs> and Yolanda's, you know, because um, they're there. It's just untapped. That's all it is. That's it. That's it. So tell us about tell us about your upbringing. What um, you know, how, how you were, where you were born, how you were raised and uh, a little bit about the path uh, that led you here. OK, so um, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I was raised in Thomasville. And Thomasville, those were my character building years. So uh, being in Brooklyn, I was a baby in Thomasville. I was, I had time to grow up, you know, so uh, I learned. Where, where's, where, where's Thomasville? Thomasville, Georgia. Okay. 45 minutes out of, from T Tallahassee. So how old were you when you moved there? Uh, I haven't, you know what? I think I was seven. Yep, I was seven years old. We moved to Thomasville. 
Nice. Those were like the best. That period, that space was the best times I could I could remember as a kid. Yes. And how long how long did you stay there? I probably I said we stayed in Thomasville till I was about uh thirteen. 13 years old. Yep. That was about 13 years old. Yep. So we, uh, special thing about Thomasville, it taught me uh, my, my work ethic. Mm. Right. And uh, cause we used to go to the uh, pecan field to pick pecans, to pay our rent, to pay, you know, for school clothes. And uh, it was five of us. So we, uh, we had to help mom out. And she was a single parent, so every Saturday she would go during the week, and we would have to go with her Saturdays, Saturday mornings, <laughs> and sometimes Sundays. But in the summertime, we went all the time. Right. Yeah. And I was a little kid. Funny story. My little brother Willie. He's such like he's a really big guy, right? But when we were that that we we're that age, he was he was a little pudgy little kid. He was the youngest one, so he never really uh, did a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> but he'd always get the same five dollars everybody else got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my little uh, brother. Yeah, man. So, um, when 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 you guys left when you guys left Georgia, where'd you go from there? We went to Jersey City, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, how was that transition? It was tough. It was it was tough, you know. Um, being from been having that uh, having that country accent, you know. From we're we're from the south, so we're used to running around with no shoes on, being friendly to everyone, you know. And it just it it, it didn't work in Jersey. Right. It, it was tough. Like I was literally told my mom, I just I want to go. I want to go back to Thomasville. Oh man. It, it was hard to make friends, and. A short story that the guy that um, used to live next door to us that we befriended was Derek Luke. So Derek Luke played in, um, he was Antoine Fisher. Okay. Yep. Biker Boys. Yep. He was our friend growing up. My sister used to date him. Yeah. No he kidding. Really good, he was a really good friend of our families. Yep. Nice. Yep. Derek was a really good guy. And so we moved there with my granddad. And uh, my granddad, he was a hard worker. You know, I remember um, waiting. My grandmother would fix him lunch every day, right? I mean, think of, like living in a world with like no cell phones, no nothing, right? <laughs> and watching and think and just thinking about how she would take care of him, make his lunch. You know, and we would sit um, on the front steps and because he would never eat all of his lunch. <laughs> and we would sit on the front steps and just wait for our grandfather to come home. And he was a mason. OK. Yeah, he did masonry work. And he was just such an outstanding man. And we just sit, wait for him to wait for his lunchbox. We know something that grandma would put some Oreo cookies in there, put them five <laughs> in there. And he'd only eat three and. You know, and I, all my other, it was mainly me and Willie used to sit and wait for my granddaddy. Yeah, yeah Willie is a pudgy little fella. He was a kid. 
So, so that was but, all five. All five of you moved up there with with. Yeah, uh, all five of us there. moved up there. Yep, all five of us moved up there. And so, how long did you stay there? Did you guys? Was that is that all through high school? You stayed in Jersey City, or? Nah, man. Uh, we we probably stayed in Jersey City for like three years because my grandfather had got sick. And uh, my uncle came upstairs. I mean, God rest his soul. And you know, and he did make peace with 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 us when when he had passed away. So my grandfather, I mean, my uncle, came upstairs, shot a gun in the sky. I mean, in the house, and told everybody to get out. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, me, I'm I'm still a kid. You know, I, I I run in the room and just go hide in the closet. My mom comes in there and just gets and gets us and says, "Come on, let's go." I thought thought it was over for everybody. Wow, yeah. what was the motivation there? He just wanted the house to himself. He wanted the house back. Yeah, he, he thought my grandfather was um dying, was going to die. Yeah, within a weekend, he thought he was going to die, and uh, yeah, told everybody to get out. We got wow. out. But you know what? I tell people all the time, you know, in some things that you go through in life, they're painful. They hurt. But if you look at it, you can learn from it. Like that moment taught me to never be in a position where somebody can tell you to get out. Right. Yep. So and where'd you guys go from there? I mean, how'd you guys, how'd you... uh How'd you eventually end up in Syracuse as well? Oh, okay. So we went from there to Waterloo, New York, birthplace of Memorial Day, right? So that, bro, that was tough. That was a tough one. Yeah. Imagine going from imagine going from being around nothing but black and Latino, right? Right. To happy Water. days. <laughs> <laughs> To happy days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Richie Cunningham and the crew. Oh, it, it was so bad, man. So Joe, we walk in the we walk in the uh cafeteria, right? No, here's here's another story. So with moving from state to state back here moving, you get left back, right? Right. So I was supposed to be in the so I was 14. So I was supposed to be in ninth grade or the 10th grade. No. I was 15. I was supposed to be in the 10th, 10th grade or the ninth grade. Guess what grade I was in? What? The seventh. Oof. Yeah. Wow. Yep. I was in the seventh grade. But when we're in Jersey City, right? Everybody's tall. So you really don't think. You, you, everyone looks like you, right? Right. But once we moved to uh, Waterloo, the judge, the guy was like, uh, he took us to that school, right? So it's funny, me and my brother Craig, we walking through the hallway. He goes, I was like, yo, why are the chalkboards like at our shoulders? <laughs> <laughs> And so um, the guy told us to go in the cafeteria. 
So we're in the cafeteria, at least little Craig's like, man, if you sit down, I'm gonna laugh. Cause it was like little, it was like little cafeteria tables to like for like medium-sized people. <laughs> and the and the principal said, um, you know what, we're just gonna put you in the 10th grade. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he said. We're gonna put you in the tenth grade. Can wow. you believe that? Yeah, that's that's insanity. Yeah, he said we're gonna put you in the tenth grade, and then so they put me in the tenth grade. They put me in this high school. So I walk into high school, and uh, I walk right into the cafeteria. I see a jukebox. They're playing Vanilla Ice, <laughs> right? And there's no and there's no um. No black people around, right. but I know there's a black person there because my cousin. But I didn't, you know, so I, I didn't know him. Right. So um, this guy. So we're sitting down and on the table, on the, in the cafeteria. I'm like, Craig, can you believe this shit? Look at this, bro. Then the preacher, the the, uh, the principal came in and took us in the office, stuff like that. It was in the office, gave us our schedule and stuff like that, and. The bell had rung. And then my cousin Corey came out like, what's going on, cuz? I was like, say that again. <laughs> <laughs> and then he um he said, Hey, what's going on? We're hanging out after uh hanging out after school. You guys want to come chill? I was like, yo, listen to how you talk. <laughs> <laughs> So he had and been born we, and raised in, he was from Waterloo then. Yeah, I mean, he was all he of his lived life. <laughs> all of his life, all of his life. And then, so um, <laughs> after that, the um, social services found us a place in um, Seneca Falls. We were going to move to Geneva, but Charter Homes was full. They didn't have nowhere for us. Mm-hmm. So they we moved to uh, Seneca Falls out in uh, Peterman Apartments, and then so moving from Peterman Apartments, we uh, it was cool, but it was just far as like out in the sticks, bro. It was it was it was it was awful. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. And so, so uh, yeah, go ahead. And so um, we moved there and um, experienced racism. Like you would not believe, bro. It was yeah. bad. Seneca Falls was bad. Yep. Yeah, it was bad. Um, so we we walked into town, snowing and everything, because we found out there was a, a rec center downtown. We can go and play basketball, and uh, went down to the rec center. It had to be at least. A five mile walk to the rec center. Wow. And so we all uh, walked down to the rec center, and the dude was like, We went to get in. He was like, Niggas ain't getting in here. You ain't coming in here. Wow. Straight up. Straight up. Wow. He said, he said where, you, where you from? I said, We just moved here. He said, Go back to Geneva. Wow. And then the one guy, no, um, name was Mark, Mark Skelzo. He said, Nah, they they live here. Cause I seen them in school the other day. He he does live here. And 
That was it. Was was Mark was Mark a fellow student or did he work at the Rex? He was a, he was a student. He was a student. And he vouched for you guys. Did you end up getting in or what? Yeah, we end up getting in there, and then um, we was hanging out outside just talking because it was it was some cool it was some cool dudes, some cool white kids there. Yeah, you know that hung out that liked to rap or whatever. I thought we were just cool because we had like high top fades and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we became friends with them. So yeah, so that's how so, we got to Cynical Falls. And then how did that lead to Syracuse? Well, life happened. Um, a lot of uh, self-inflicted pain because I've only been in Syracuse for about eight years. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of uh, self-inflicted pain, having you know just kids out of wedlock and just being irresponsible and you know drinking, you know a little bit of drugs, not a lot, not nothing crazy, and um, just life happened and. How I wound up here in Syracuse was I started to get my life together probably two months, no, two years before Syracuse. Um, I found out why I was the way I was. So I like I dissected my life. Mm. So I was going to counseling and I wanted to know why I was the way I was. Why did I why did why was I having kids? And when things get rough, I'd leave. Mm. Right. I wanted to know why. And then my uh, doctor that um, my counselor I was talking to, she said that it's a it's a learned behavior. Right. Mm -hmm. So think about it. Now we're in Brooklyn. Things get mad. Things get rough. We leave. We're in Thomasville. Things get rough. We leave. Right. We're in Jersey. Things get rough. We leave. Yeah. Right. So all of that subconsciously was in my mind. Yeah. That was the thing you immediately go to. Things get rough. You leave. Because I wanted to change my life. I wanted to be a better person. So I started getting into uh, after I did that. Um, I fell in love with dentistry because the guy that um, owned the company. He really liked me, treated me like I was a son, you know, like um, he cared. He cared about me, about my well-being. I was the only black. I was the only black guy that worked for the company and uh, I was friends with his daughter, Danielle. And um, and how I got that job, I was at a high school. I was at a um, high school game that Danielle was playing at. And I was like, I just walked up to him and said, hey, Bruce, can I come work for you after uh, high school? He goes, you're not going to college? I said, hell no. <laughs> he goes, you know, you don't have to go to college to be successful. He goes, I didn't go to college and I'm successful. He goes, absolutely, Todd, you can come work for me. Wow. So I started out in the, yeah, started out in the model department, working in the model department. And uh, that's where the impressions come in and you pour them, you pour them into a, a mold and you articulate it. Right. So you put it together. So it's a mock up of the patient's mouth. I got really good at I got really good at that. And I came up with ways to do that job faster. Um, and I fell in love with the uh, the beauty part of dentistry. Mm. Right. Because and 
there was a guy, his name was Pat, his name was Pat Rector. And um, Pat was always happy. You're talking about Joe. You're talking about a guy that is happy. This guy is like the epitome. You look up happy in the definition in the in, in the dictionary, it's Pat. Right. So I said, Pat, why are you why are you so happy all the time? He goes, Man, I make a six-figure salary. I have a beautiful house. I have a wife to die for, and I have outstanding kids. And I said, and he goes, I said, and this is all you do? He had a tooth. Because I was in the, I was working in, I was like working in the mall department and also doing like some polishing. And um, I said, and that's all you do is this. And I'm just looking at this tooth like, and that's all you do? You make a hundred thousand dollars a year, and that's this this is the part of the job you do. He goes, Yeah, bro. From that moment, that moment forward, I was like, you know what? I want to be like this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, like when you have goals and you hit that goal, one thing I've learned about goals, right? That if you have a goal, you better have another one after it. <laughs> right? Are you just going to hit, you just going to hit a roadblock? Yeah. Right. So. I fell in love. I fell in love with that part. That part of dentistry. But at times, I felt like I couldn't do it no more. Like I wasn't good enough. Like everybody around me was doing good because they were white. Because I would go back. It was funny that I felt that way because I would go back to the owner of the company. Like he had an open door policy. I used to go to his house, hang out with him. Mm -hmm. I was right around. Drive his cars around town like Bentleys with Mercedes and stuff like that. I didn't drive his Bentley. He gave me a ride in it one time. But I used to go. Out, <laughs> I knew how he was living. Right. And, and it, it was. And I was like, why? I can't do it. I just felt like I couldn't do it. And then Pat um, turned me on to like self help stuff, like Tony Robbins. Mm. And I, I got into Tony Robbins and um, Zig Ziglar. Um, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, uh, Napoleon Hill, and stuff like that. And then I started, um, I had the confidence to know that, I, I built up the confidence to know that Pat wasn't better than me. He was. He had just put forth more hours yep. at being a ceramist than I have. So you know right. what I have to do? When he's home, chilling i gotta be home on the internet right looking up new techniques right right and that's so why I, I built that up i built that part up and uh i told myself dang man so i'm really good at this the rest i'm just i'm going to learn because i'm passionate about it and then doctors started calling the laboratory and writing on prescription who did this crown and they were like, Todd Reed did it. I don't want nobody doing my work but Todd Reed. Okay. Right? Yeah. So I'm like, where's my $100,000 at, man? I think I was making like $16 an hour, paying $300 a week in child support. So I needed something to fall back on. <laughs> right? And so, uh, man, why? where's mine at? Nah, you're not ready yet. What do you mean I'm not ready yet? 
I can do what this guy's doing. Right. You know me. Where 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 where's mine? And I was getting raises and stuff like that, but I wanted like the big picture. It was like I'm in New York, I gotta drive to California. And I don't think about like the states on the way to California. I just think about California. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. You're not trying to hear about Iowa. You want to get right to California. <laughs> yeah. And uh and that, that taught me that taught me patience. You know, Bruce did a he did a really good job at teaching me patience and putting me in positions. Now he will put me in positions to be successful. It's the people. When I would leave his office, I would have to go back into the real world, which was the laboratory, mm. which um, dealt with racism there too. Mm. And, and don't get me wrong. When I say I deal with race, when I dealt with racism, I'm not talking about some ignorant person that called me a nigger. I, that, I'm not talking about that. That's just an ignorant person because black people use that word too. Right. But. When your manager and your supervisor say it, now that's racism because they control your your livelihood. Right. Right? They control how much money you make. They control how fast you climb the ladder. To me, that's racism. Right. Because they control a re- just a regular person. To me, that's just you're just ignorant and you don't control nothing. And so let me just get you out of my space. Right. So I can just so I now just walk away. But when you're in a, a position of power, to me, that's racism. Yeah, you don't have the you don't have the ability to ignore someone being ignorant when they control your paycheck and they control your advancement in your field. That's a whole different that's, that's a whole different kettle of fish right there. Yes, it is. And so I experienced that. And um I just kept climbing the ladder, bro. Just kept climbing the ladder. I would like block it out. And, and you know what? And sometimes when a regular person would say it, it wouldn't be a big deal because they'd be drinking or, or whatever. But when like a, a manager say it it, it, it really hurt me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I'm I'm doing the right things. I'm, I'm coming to work every day. I'm not doing all the dumb shit I used to do. Coming to work late. You know, um, be a part of chatty patty groups at work. You know, um, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Why is this right. happening to me? Right. And then I, I just got really good at, I just got really awesome at dentistry. So I would go to like seminars and stuff like that. Cause I would use that. I would use that for fuel. Right. You know? And so it got to a point to where it would be Pat, Aaron, um, and a couple more like high end ceramists at the laboratory. And I would say something like, here's Pat's crown. Here's my crown. Which one's the best? Which one do you like? And I would like mix them up. And then they were like, hmm, this one's nice. But this right here, there's something different about this one right here. And so I found out, I wanted, I went online, right? And I wanted to know what made something beautiful, right? And so I researched, we, everyone has a nerve in their eye, in their eyes. It's called your optic nerve, right? Yeah. And that were light, colorful flashes down that that nerve and a, a, a woman's optic nerve is more sensitive than a guy's optic nerve hence the saying a diamond is a girl's best friend like when you see a diamond on tv it's never just sitting there it's just spinning around yeah right yeah so what i would do i would take they had this um color it's called uh it wasn't a color 
It's called like it's the color is called OD42. And then um, I will layer some CLO on it. And when you fire CLO, it looks like it's glass. Mm. So I would take my tool, but I would like put like surface texture in it. They put little divots in it. So when you turn it, you're because when people look at it, they have loops on with a little light right here. So when right. they look at it, it's almost like it, it hypnotizes them. Right. Because of the depth and how you layer the porcelain. And they would take and turn it. They're like, man, it's nice, but this right here is really, this is beautiful, man. And then the doctor started to love it. And uh, my manager started to love it. And Bruce, he loved it. And so I was showing people how to do it, how to layer it. And um, just coming up with ways to do to do it better, right? So if I wanted to come up with ways to do the job better, I found out that um, about the laws of attraction, mm. right? Yep. So I, I would research great leaders, great thinkers, great inventors, people that invented things, and and just figure out their mindset, right? How how they think. And uh, one day I went to the dentist. And you know that little thing called that you get at the root canal? It's called an endophile. Mm. Right? When you get a root canal, take this little long pen. Yeah. And st sticks it up in your. So that little thing has grooves in it. Right? So mm -hmm. that I took and bent it. And I, I was looking at it. We had one at the lab and I was looking at it. I was like, man, I wonder if I carved porcelain with this. Would it separate like natural teeth grow together because remember i said it has grooves in it like this right yeah. here like grooves so if i take and cut porcelain because when you fire porcelain it separates hmm. so i separated it with an endophile make a long story short it separated when i fired it it separated like natural teeth grow together hmm. so it made the it gave the teeth it gave the, the crowns a more aesthetic a more aesthetic look nice and the lab was, oh man, how do you do this and stuff like I even invented it, like a little a little thing to go on the tip of it. Um, I broke a pin down so I could like have my endo file in my um, pocket right here and just hit the top and it'll just pop out and hit it again. It'll pop back in. Yeah, I got. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool, man. It nice. Cool. Yeah. So, so all these innovations led to kind of your your climbing the ladder again and again and kind of, you know, and refining yeah. the craft and stuff. So how did you go from, so we talked about, you know, you kind of talked about um, that different kind of racism from just someone ha hassling you on the street to, you know, that person, um, you know, determining your paycheck or your advance in your career. Now you're at a stage where, you know, you, you're, you know, in determining your own destiny with, with your own business. Mm -hmm. How did you take that leap from, um, you know, doing the dental work for other people to, you know, branching out on your own with, with access. So when I, um, I was sitting, I would hang out with Bruce. Do you hear that? Cause I'm getting like, Oh, okay. It's gone. So when I would hang out with Bruce, this guy had like the best swag you ever seen. I mean, just awesome. And just one day for me being around him, like being at his house, being in his office to him, helping me with problems I'm going through in life and seeing how he treated other people and how um, 
polit like he how he talked to politicians and how he built his team around him. I was like, I don't want to work for you no more. I want to be I, I want to be you. <laughs> yep. Cause I can do it. Yep. You know, we tend to think we see these people that have this status. And I'm not talking about like famous, I'm not talking about like rappers and all that other bullshit. I'm talking about normal people that you see every day when you're downtown at a happy hour, you see them drive by in their Mercedes or their Ferrari or the, these people are no smarter than you. Yep. They've just dedicated more time to their craft and you haven't even started to more crime, more time to their passion. And you haven't even started yours. Yep. So what do you, you get started. Right. And so now what I did, I went online, I researched CEOs. So I researched Bill Gates. I researched uh, um, a, a, a big one that I used to watch all that I used to listen to all the time. It's called CEO Talk Radio with Robert mm. Bromswell. And he has like thought leaders from all over the country that um, go into these Fortune 500 companies and really figure out how they run. And these people will write books on their experience. It's really interesting. If you yeah. go on, it's, I mean, it's, it's real. I've got my leadership team right now listening to that. Nice. Strategies on how to build a company, how to be a leader, understand the difference between um, a leader and a manager, right? Yep. And a CEO that there's, there's levels to all of that. Like mm -hmm. a manager isn't, isn't a leader. He's just guiding. He's guiding the ship. Yep. A supervisor is making sure the ship is running and a CEO tells them where to go. <laughs> simple as that. And yep. um, so I would research all these great, and that would start like reading books. A book that um, Bruce gave me was uh, Success is Not an Accident, hmm. which was a really good one. And my favorite one is called uh, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And I've got my entire team reading that book right now. Everyone's reading that book. We're not sitting talking about it. Everyone's reading it. And these in this just like 21 laws. These are the steps that you take. And so and I just I really got into like I want to be around leaders now. Because I want to take this to the next level. And then I met my wife. And I met my wife and, you know, my wife, if anyone knows my wife, she'll she goes. So what, what do you want to be? What do you see yourself? I said, one day I'm going to own my own dental laboratory and be the president of my own laboratory one day. And um, I asked her, she goes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to change education. I was like, OK, Dr. Reed. She was Dr. Benson at that time, but I knew right. I was going to marry her right when I met her. So I was calling her Dr. Reed. And <laughs> I was nervous. Oh, man, bro. I was so nervous when I met that woman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Because she... She just had like a different, a different swag. Yeah. They're just, just different. Like I had my vision board, right? So she looked at my vision board when she came to my, she came to my house. She, uh, she was walking up, she was walking up and she goes, Oh, you have a vision board. I go, yeah, you have a vision board. And she goes, tell me about it. So I told her about it. I go, I want to live in Syracuse. Um, 
I want my wife to be uh, a teacher and in, in, in education because have you ever watched that movie? Um, Why did I get married? No. Oh, I mean, it, trust me. It's a hard watch, but I will watch it at my mom's house because my mom loves Tyler Perry. And it's nice. one part of the, it was one part of the movie where the guy, Janet Jackson's teaching in the classroom and the guy's standing over by the door waiting for waiting for Janet Jackson to get done teaching so he could take her out to dinner and stuff like that. And I thought that was like the flyest part of the movie. So I went and got, because I used to date white women, right? So, but that's another story. So I would took, I took that. <laughs> I took that, that that cover and I took Janet Jackson, Tyler Perry. I put that on my vision board. Okay. Right? I put a Chrysler 300 on there. I put um, Syracuse season tickets on there. I put a salary on there. I, put, I think I put $75,000 on that. Yeah, I put $75,000 on my vision board. And I took and put everybody that I would share this life with. A picture like my kids, my mom and my brother. And uh, I just, you know, like um, in college, how when people, when they, when they go like in Notre Dame, when they, they're walking down, they're running down the hallway, they jump up and they hit the iris thing. Yeah. I would do that with my vision board. I would put my hand on it before it's I dope. went to work. It's dope. Yeah. And then, so guess what? These things started to come to fruition. Yep. Because I was acting like it. I wasn't going out to bars no more. I wasn't being disrespectful to females. I wasn't, I was acting like I was deserving of all of these gifts. Right? And this, yeah. And then so, so check this out. This is how I met my wife. <laughs> I met her at the mall and she was uh, sitting by outside of um, Jones in New York. She has short hair. I was like, man, I got to walk by her again. <laughs> and I just started talking to her. But understand, before this, I had to act like I was deserving to have a woman in my life like this. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I was, bro. I was putting in the work. And then all the stuff started to happen. And I met her. I was like, listen, we just started talking. I go, listen, I know you don't know me like that. We just met. But I honestly, I don't want this conversation to end. And then we sitting down. She's telling me about, we, we went to um, Delmonico's. And then she's telling me about uh, all the stuff that she do. She told me that she was an educator. And she, I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> This visualization stuff really works. It works, right? Yeah, it really works. And that's why people say, be careful with what you wish for, because you just might get it. Yeah. That's a true statement. Yep. I'm a living testament of it. It's a true statement. And then um, I had the, uh, it was time for me to get a new car. The Chrysler 300 that I put on my vision board, I saw it, right? But, you know, with me, I go in a dealership. I didn't have like $25 on my account. It was like negative $25. And I think I had like $25, in my, $25, $30 in my pocket. I was like, uh, how much is that car? He was like, well, it's $12,000. I was like, all right. I go, can I fill out the application? He goes, yeah, you can fill out the application if you want. 
but this guy right here has $3,000 and he wants that car. So I was like, all right, let's see if this really works. So I filled out the application <laughs> and the guy called me the next day. I was like, well, he don't want that car. If you want it, come down here and get it. There you go. You don't have to put any money down. And, uh, and that was it. And me and my wife, we both have vision boards. Um, she, she, she champions me. She, yeah. She's my champion, right? I've, she, she's amazing. I've seen that, man. You guys have a really tight bond, you know, you and your wife. And it seems like you're, you're more than just, uh, just marital partners. You guys are like, you know, partners on your mission together as well. You know, it really shines when you guys hang out together. You, you know why? Because when we got married, we, we knew this is a business decision. Who you marry is a business decision also. It's not has nothing to do with the company you're running. Who's going to be next to you every night? Bouncing ideas off you, telling you when you said something wrong. Or maybe you should have backed off that person a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And just, just give you constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. And she, she knows I love her and I respect her. She loves me and respects me enough to know that I don't have to take her advice. But she's going to give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Period. Hey, she's no joke. Yeah, so man. We, we've got that. So if I if I can give anybody like any like advice on business, find a wife. Get, get somebody that you just love to pieces and that and, and they want you to see you want they want you to su- to succeed as bad as you want them to succeed mm. Mm. right yeah you reminded me that was my my senior class the the speaker was dorsey levens um yeah. oh and he was that was you know he's like he's like i don't i'm not much of a guy for, for loads of advice he's like but i'll tell you you want to advance Guys, get rid of them crazy girlfriends. Yeah. Girls, get rid of that crazy guy that's been messing your life up. Like, you guys want to succeed? Find a partner who's, you know, like you're talking about. Find a partner who's going to, you know, keep you on track and move you forward, you know? When I, uh, so before I met my wife, I was dating some, I was like, like hanging out. I wasn't like dating nobody. And it wasn't in a committed relationship. And this one girl came to my apartment. She told me my vision board was, it was a Ouija board. I said, what? <laughs> you gotta go. No, you can't be here. Yeah. Uh, too much. It's been, it's been quite the, uh, quite the ride. So, yeah. So if I could bring it back a little bit. So just so I clarify. So you went, when you went, so they kind of directly promoted you from seventh grade to 10th grade, you said, right? Or somewhere yeah. on those lines. Mm-hmm. Do I have that correct? Yep. So how did you fare in, you know, once you got up to 10th grade and, and, you know, and graduate in high school, how did you, um, you know, how did you function in, in the rest of high school after that, after you got to, you know, after you got a direct promotion, skipping grades and, and mm-hmm. bouncing all over with different education levels, did you hate high school? Did you just want to be done with it as bad, or or were you still able to, you know, find some some uh, you know value in, in the education despite all the challenges you faced? So it was a, a teacher. Her name was. They, I was. They 
Like they didn't take me from they, they didn't throw me in a regents class, right? Right. <laughs> they tried they tried that shit. Nah, it didn't work. So right. they put me in um they put me in special education. I was in like the special needs class or whatever. And uh, it was this teacher, her name was Mrs. Johnson. She was the sweetest. She was the sweetest person, man. Oh, yeah. man. She was so nice. She was like, okay, Todd. Um, is it A? I was like, nah, it ain't A. She go, is it B? I was like, nah, I don't, I don't think it's B. Is it C? Nah, I think it's D. She goes, oh, my God, good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... She was such a sweet lady. She uh she helped me get my um like she she just she was just there. She was just there, just sweet. She reminded me of my mother, so I just loved being around her. That's great. But she was just a sweet person. So she and she kept me going to school. She kept you, yep. she kept pushing you through, huh? She kept pushing me through. Yep, she kept That's pushing me through. And then I was like with the uh the, the basketball the football coach and the basketball coach, Scott Johnson and his wife Kathy Johnson. So you yep. played. You played. You played sports in high school. Yep, I played football. Yep. Nice. What position? Yep. Wide receiver, uh, all special teams, and defensive. De- defense. Nice. Well, I was. I was off, bro. I was bad. <laughs> Yo, so check. So check this. Check this out. So, I was a wide receiver. So they would say, um, like Rob means Rob means left, Lou means right, right. So. I would get on the field, he would call a play, and he would say, Rob, left cross pass. So I would like actually line up on the right side. And then the quarterback would be like, Todd, what are you doing? Yeah. And then the announcer would say, read in motion. <laughs> because I would get on the field and get nervous and stuff like that. I didn't catch one touchdown. There you go. I catch one, I caught one touchdown. And I dropped one on the one-yard line, and Kevin Korzneski picked it up and just one short move to the right is in the end zone. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't much of an athlete. Uh, yeah, well, I, that's I, I, that's why I, how I learned how to play guitar, man. I was not making any sports teams, so I found other stuff to do with my time, man. I was not the one. So um, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, I wanted to touch on – I saw that uh, Ricky Brown was was plugging you guys recently. Um, talk to us about you know your work with Ricky, with Certified, and with like the MWBE. For those who don't know what MWBE is and and uh, certification, how you guys did that, why it's important, and, and would you recommend it to other businesses? I would de- I would definitely um, rec- recommend that to other businesses. I would dec- I would recommend Ricky. I recommend Ricky Brown to everybody. You know, yep. he he he's so he's so passionate about helping out our community that sometimes his passion, some people they they look at it like, oh man, Ricky, relax, cool out. And I'm like, go get him, Ricky. <laughs> because um, number one, MWBE is not a it's not an end all end all be all, and it's not the cure. Because you do have to put work in. You you have to. It just get, it just puts you in a better position to succeed. 
Yep. As far as um, making sure you get contracts, mm-hmm. making sure you are uh, making sure you're part of the conversation. Yep. That's what that's what that means. And Ricky Brown does that. He advocates for minority businesses with a little Dr. King and a little Malcolm X and a little. I mean, he's but he's passionate about it. Yeah, and, and so that's what um, he's uh he, he's definitely, yep, yeah, and uh, also another person, Khalid Khalid Bay. That's my brother, man. Khalid can tell you when um we first when it was time to start the laboratory, I had Judge Thompson over here. I mean, yeah, I had the judge over here, and he said, "I said, who do I need to talk to?" He goes, "Well, where are you going to put it?" I said, I want to put it on the south side of Syracuse. He said, well, you need to talk to Khalid. And my wife interviewed Khalid. And uh, Khalid was like, yeah, brother, you know, I'll, I'll be more than happy to help you out. You know, kind of guide you along. Stuff like that. But, I, but before I told him the plan, I, he came over to my house and we went for a ride. So I kind of, he went on like a, a field trip so I could show mm-hmm. him my, my dental journey. I took him to a place I worked at and it was a mobile home kind of like thing. Then it got expanded. We grew out of that. We moved to Seneca Falls, built a brand new facility, looks something like the Jetsons. And then we grew out of that building. And then Bonadent refurbished a Walmart. And the business was recession proof. So I kind of showed them how I grew and how the, the company grew. And I also took them through Seneca Falls and explained to him how Seneca Falls was a ghost town. There was like a clothing store when I moved there, a, um, a TV store, a furniture store, um, and a bunch of mom and pop spots. Yeah, and they were they were dormant for years, right? Bonadent moves to town, and Bruce starts his company. It's called um, Revitacore. So he starts revitalizing downtown Seneca Falls. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so I'm a part of it. You know, like I'm going down there on the weekends and I'm and I'm helping mm. revitalize downtown. Mm. And, you know, and some days I didn't want to go, but I, I had to go. So that's why. You cannot tell me we can't do the same thing on Solana Street. I've seen it done. Mm. I've seen it done. The people that know better. Than the people over there. Yeah, we have our problems. Yep. We got good people over there that are willing to help. I mean, look, I mean, I mean, the marching can can be kind of like, you know, tiring at times, but look on Facebook today. There's people cleaning up. A group of kids, 18, 19, 20, 21, 23, they're cleaning. Yep. So when I see that. In my mind, I'm visualizing them putting up store signs, them walking down Salina Street, cleaning up Salina Street, helping revitalize that area. It can be done. Yep. Yep, it can be done. Well, I, I, you know, just on on behalf of, uh, you know, a representative for for part of the city, man, we're, we're very grateful that you, you know, you decided to plant your roots 
um, you know, your business on the south side of Syracuse and, and investing in the city and, you know, doubling down and saying you believe in it because that's the kind of stuff that turns the tide, you know, that, that gets us, like you said, like with Bruce and, and Seneca Falls there with, with trying to. So what, what would you think? Uh, any thoughts on, you know, obviously you're a, um, it, it's a it, it's a crazy story, <laughs> your life story. I think we only we only touched on. We could probably do a few more of these. I think we only got into about you know ten percent of the of the crazy stories here with uh, with your journey. Um, you know, Syracuse. One thing that so you know, I I grew up uh, right near Nottingham High School. I went to Nottingham. I'm I'm you know born and raised Syracuse, and I always knew it as this incredibly diverse place because mm-hmm. I went and played in the Salt Springs area on the east side, and you know my friends were from all over. Um, and I was kind of shocked when I grew up to realize, you know, that we're number one in concentrated, segregated poverty, um, you know, and that's that's something that as an elected just weighs heavy, you know, weighs heavy on the shoulders. So mm-hmm. someone like yourself, I guess I, the, this last question probably be twofold. What's your advice to young um, young folks on the south side? brown and black people that uh, are hoping to become entrepreneurs and, you know, what, what piece of advice could you give to them that, you, you know, you seem to have found this path uh, yourself? What would you say to, to young people looking and, and what would, what would your thoughts be to people of the political class like myself who are elected officials that are, are trying to figure out solutions to this? Um, any, you know, just any thoughts on, on uh, what we can do from our perspective to, to try to change the dynamic and break the cycle and try, and try to, you know, have Syracuse not be number one in these horrible categories. Okay, so okay. I'll, I'll, I'll do the first one, which was a great question. Um, so for young entrepreneurs, future entrepreneurs, I can give you some advice. And uh, we have something we call, oh, that's gangster, right? That's gangster. Right. You know what? For me, gangster is when you can walk in a room full of politicians and business owners and it takes you 20 minutes to get to your table because <laughs> everyone wants to shake your hand and is just so proud of what you're doing. And you have people advocating for you in rooms that you can't that you can't be in because you're only one person right don't take some if someone says well this person over here can help me and they say oh that person that person can't do nothing that's bullshit you make friends and you learn to talk to strangers you ask god to bring the people in and you ask god to take the people out (laughs) and when he brings them in you hold on to him. When he takes them out, you be cordial with him. That's it. Yeah. You can't be in every room at the same time. Remember, for me, gangster ain't shooting somebody. It ain't running around with you the only rich person. You the only person that got a nice car. You the only person that got a nice uh, a, a nice bank account and all your other friends are broke. And they just hang around you waiting for you to buy them a drink and they got to confirm you. Gangster is having people advocate for you when you can't advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? To me, 
And I don't use the word gangster because I'm past that, but that's the word the kids use. So right. I'll, I'll bring it home. I'll bring it home with that one. <laughs> and, the last, and, and the last one is for politicians. Um, one black person don't speak for everybody. Right? Mm-hmm. Every So often I see a politician that has a black friend and they think this black friend speaks for everybody. No, that black, that person speaks for it. He speaks for his damn self. He damn sure don't speak for me and my wife and my family. I can guarantee you that. And I made that abundantly clear with everybody. Me and my wife speak for me and my wife. Now, if this person heart is in the right place, absolutely. But if you're number one in poverty, and you're constantly talking to the same person that live in that same area in those same conditions. And this person is the only person that drives a nice car that has a nice house and he hasn't lifted nobody up or built nobody up. You're talking to the wrong person. Hmm. And I see I, I, I see it all the time. And that's just that's just not fair. You're not that's not adding value. You want to add value to a community? You want to add value to a community? Go go say, hey, listen, you know what? How about we try something different? How about instead of putting memorials on Salina Street? How about this? Number one, it brings down, it brings down, it, 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 it defaces the community. Little children have to see that. So instead of you know saying, "Oh, you got to take this down," you got to take this down. You wanna, you want people to understand that little kids have to see that mm. going to the store. And maybe if maybe if, if it was heard like that. People will have more understanding. I get it. We all grieve different. You know what I'm saying? The loss of a loved one is it's tough. But in order to make change here in Syracuse and change anywhere, sometimes it's uncomfortable, bro. Yeah. That's what the politicians, you know, you can't be afraid of of what someone in the community is going to say. You can't be afraid of that. Because what you're doing, you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it to, to better the entire community. So don't say, you know, well, last time I went over there, I tried to talk to this person, tried to talk to that person, and the whole neighborhood would, just went nuts. You got to understand that you have to talk to them like they're human first. Come at them, come at them with love. Mm-hmm. When you come at them in love, I guarantee you'll get love. You'll get love right back, or at least you'll get the same level of respect that you just exhibited to that mm-hmm. person. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. You know, when when um, that 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 is such a political thing nowadays. You wouldn't think of it if, in the other perspective. You wouldn't think of one white person speaking on behalf of all white people. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> The mere concept would make people start laughing. You know, you're like, I'm speaking for white America. Like, 
But which white America are you talking about? You talking about the 65 year old ladies that are looking out their window, or are you talking about the 20 year old folks? But at the same time, we have one, you know, African American pundit, and or whatever it is, we think that we can say, you know, that's, you know, that's that's the voice of the people, or that that represents everybody's opinion. And you got, you know, same with any other race, you have a diverse group of people with a lot of diverse opinions, and you know, you gotta you gotta take that into into effect. You know, definitely. Mm-hmm. So with all the with all the uh, we try to keep these to about an hour, brother. We wrapping up. Believe it or not, we've been talking for a whole hour. Um, it's gone by fast, man. You got some stories, bro. Oh man, thanks. Yeah. So anything you want to leave us with? I mean, it's a crazy time right now. We got COVID. We got you know um, situations with the police, the economy, everything. Um, any any final thoughts uh, for the people out there? How's how's COVID been for your company? How you guys been coping in these times? You know, um, has it 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 has slowed down because it's kind of hard to uh, go to the dentist and say, hey, hi, my name is Todd Reed. You know, what I'm saying I'm president of Accident Laboratory. We're a startup. We'll be on the south side of Syracuse. So now I can't do that. You know, I can't because they they're controlling who comes in and. Who goes right. out stuff like that but as far as like the uh the cabin fever and stuff like that hey man just spend some time spend some time with the family man enjoy it you know we have a uh quarantine couple you know i think every couple has one a quarantine couple yeah yeah so uh that's uh that's pretty much it man just Learn your family. I mean, I've learned a lot about my daughters since they've been since they've been home. <laughs> you know, and I realize my wife, she is superwoman because she's just she's been busier since she's been home with her company also, Access Global Group. Yep. yep. Love it, man. Well, hey, brother, thank you for coming on and spending the time with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, definitely going to be be uh, reaching out to your wife too because I know she'd be a great guest to to talk to as well. Yeah. And uh, and you're rooting for our boy Francis Canole, right? We got to see how Francis. Yeah, Francis tonight. come on, man. You got to get out there and vote. Yep. If folks haven't gotten out to vote yet, make sure you do it today. It's the uh, polls don't close till nine o'clock, but uh, but get out there and vote today if you if you can hop into the primary. And Todd, thanks so much for all you're doing for the community, man. Thank you guys for deciding to invest on uh, on the south side of Syracuse. And uh, thanks for all your work. And uh, thank you for coming on. And hopefully we can catch up. Uh, hopefully they'll come with a vaccine soon and you and I can hang out in the flesh sometime soon. Sounds good, bro. God bless you, man. God bless, brother. Take care. Send my love to the family, okay? Will do. All right. Peace. Yep.